we get there, but uh, this is the best I can do for now. We'll be in 2 John this morning, uh, first three verses of 2 John. And basically we're looking at John's introduction and some opening greetings uh, and seeing that we're all part of the same family. So 2 John, uh, chapter, uh, there's only one chapter, verse 1 down to verse 3. It says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your word. I thank you for these illustrations. John's showing that a church here and a church there, we're all part of the same family. We're all adopted sons. I thank you for that. Help us to have and to hold some of that unity that you've given us. Help us to hang on to it and to exercise it. Show us how to be more like you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Now in many ways, the book of 2 John is very different from 1 John. Uh, For one thing, 1 John was clearly written as a letter that was meant to circulate to many different churches. 1 John traveled to quite a number of churches in the area. And we see that because it doesn't have a lot of specific details to recipients. When we were looking at 1 John, it doesn't say to the church at Ephesus or anything like that. it's, It's very general. It didn't even talk about John himself, for that matter, which was a little unusual, and we pointed that out. I'm not going to do it again. Uh, You know, like sometimes Paul says, Paul, an apostle, thus and such, to the church of Colossae. John didn't do that in 1 John. But in 2 John, John comes right out and he describes himself as the elder. The elder. Uh, And he seems to be addressing the members of one particular church. Now, there seem to be several specific purposes why John wrote this particular letter. For one thing, he seems to be warning his readers about the dangers of false teachers. He's still on the topic of false teachers. False teaching was very prolific at this time. Christianity was brand new. Satan was trying to nip it in the bud with all kinds of false teachings. Uh, And he was teaching... We'll get to it in a couple of weeks. The hazards of welcoming these false teachers and their teachings into the church. We're to have no part in it, we're going to see. Particularly in verse 8 when we get there. Uh, Let me skip ahead and look at it. It says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Don't lose the things that you've already worked for, he says. Uh, Secondly, he's reminding them of the command to love one another, which they've received right along with the gospel. We're going to see that next week when we get to verse 5. It says, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. 
same basic theme as 1 John, but to a very specific church. And finally, third reason John's writing this, John's writing this to tell them of his plans to eventually visit this church and to help them battle these false teachers. We'll see that when we get to verse 12 at the very end. It says, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. John's looking forward to visiting these folks, so he's giving them a warning. Hey, I'm hoping to visit you, so you can be ready. Today, we're going to see John begin, right off the bat, he's going to begin with a warning against false teachers. He's going to call them deceivers and antichrists. Sounds like similar language to what we saw in 1 John when he was going through that. John wants his readers to keep walking in the truth. Keep walking in the truth. Some people in John's day, and in fact some people still today, taught that as as long as you're sincere in your beliefs, God will take care of the rest. As long as you're doing the best you can do, God will take care of the rest. That's, that's a very live and well false teaching in the church today. But the thing is, John's trying to make it clear that sincerity isn't the issue. Truth is the issue. Truth is the issue. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Truth is found in no other than in Jesus Christ himself. We saw that, and let's back up to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. Very familiar. Best statement of it. John 14, verse 6. Where Jesus says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say he was a truth. He said he was the truth. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other life. So with all that for an introduction... Let's take a look at verse 1 again and see what John actually has to say. He says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Now, as I just finished mentioning, in this letter, John does begin, like Paul begins most of his letters, with to so-and-so, from so-and-so. Uh, that kind of method of writing, similar to how you and I write a letter today. Dear who, whoever, they, they introduce themselves first and then talk about the recipient. Uh, that's something that he did not do in 1 John. We just talked about that a little bit. Unfortunately for you and me in 21st century America, John isn't as clear as he might have been. Uh, he simply calls himself the elder. He doesn't say, I, John, uh, Jesus' best friend, on down through, give his credentials like Paul sometimes does. He just says, the elder, I'm the old man writing to you. Uh, That may have worked well in his day, but it doesn't help us much today, does it? The elder, well, who in the world is this? 
Well, by this time, John was a very old man. He's one of the last surviving eyewitnesses to the ministry of Jesus. One of the last eyewitnesses still alive of Jesus. Some people have tried to make the claim that by calling himself the elder, John's claiming an official title, you know, uh, people, official title in the church is the elders or, or presbytery. Uh, I don't really think that's the case here because every single time in the New Testament that elder is used as a leadership position, it's in the plural. Presbyteros. Uh, John here is using it in the singular, presbyteri. It's one, one person. He's, I'm, I'm the old man, John says. He's using that term both in 2 John and in 3 John. So apparently, I can gather, John was pretty well known as the old man in the church. Uh, if that apparently was how everybody referred to him. Hey, he's the old man. He's the last one that saw Jesus still, last eyewitness to Jesus. So then he says, I'm writing to the elect lady and her children. Then he's talking about who he's writing to. The elect lady and her children. There's a lot of possible explanations to who that might be. Uh, I think the most likely is that John's referring to a specific church and its members. I don't know which church. I can speculate. I don't really know. I'm not going to speculate. And that seems to be backed up by the fact that throughout the rest of this letter, John refers to these people in the second person plural. He refers to all, every single time he refers to these people in the second person plural. You, as in use guys, or all y'all. <laughs> uh, this, by the way, this is a weakness of the King James, uh, because the King James translates sometimes ye, sometimes you, sometimes thee, uh, throughout for both 2nd and 3rd John, when in fact no ancient Greek text uses anything except second person plural. Uh, so, just something for you to consider. Another interesting thing that we're going to see is that at the very end of the book, John writes in verse 13, we'll get there, The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. And that seems to be John's way of describing one church addressing another church. You guys are a church, wherever you may be, and I'm writing from my church, wherever that may be. Remember, one of John's big things that we sure saw in 1 John is to make sure that we each treat each other as family. We're supposed to be treating each other as family. One church, another church, us individuals within Bethel Bible Church, we all ought to be treating each other as family, and Bethel Bible Church ought to be referring to other like-minded churches as family as well. That's the idea John's trying to convey to us. See, this letter opens and closes with references to family relationships. One lady is the church that John's writing to. One lady is the church that John belongs to himself. And they're communicating through John. Now, also notice how John describes the people in the church that he's writing to. 
whom I love in the truth. Whom I love in the truth. John genuinely loves these people. And the basis for their love, this is, this is what all their love is based on, is the fact that they, like John, are in the truth. We just finished reading where Jesus said, I am the truth. They're in Jesus, in Christ, together. That's the basis for all of our love, don't you see? See, John shares the same belief in the truth of Jesus Christ that these people do. And that one common bond brings them together and holds them together. Blessed be the tie that binds, as the old hymn says. So then he moves on. He talk, he's not done talking about truth. In verse 2, he brings it up again. He says, For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. So then John explains what their community is really based on. The truth. The truth that Christ is both God and man, both Lord and Savior. He's more than just a proposed theory. Truth is based on a living person, Jesus Christ, who shall be with us forever. And that agrees with the verse that we already talked about, John chapter 14, 6, where uh, Jesus talks about further on down that he's going to be with us forever. It's the same kind of language. Now, of course, we can't know the truth without knowing Christ. That's very clear, as we've already talked about. He is the truth. He proclaimed the truth. He is the truth. He embodied that truth. So let me ask a question. Well, let me make a statement and then ask a question. Uh, there's a lot of deception in this world, isn't there? Have you noticed that there's a lot of deception in this world? Why do you suppose there is so much deception in this world? Because, what's that? Well, that's right. Uh, and I could add, because this world doesn't know the truth of Jesus Christ. The truth is Jesus Christ. The world doesn't know Jesus. That's why they've got nothing but deception. Deception is all around us because they don't have Christ. Now, if we expect that to change, does anybody want less deception in the world? Would anybody like to have more truth in the world? If we expect that to change, we better spread the gospel. That's the only way any truth will be in this world. Jesus is the truth. The world doesn't have Jesus, so the world doesn't have truth. But now I'm not really preaching the text. I'm getting on a soapbox, so... Uh, Let's move on to verse 3. Verse 3 says, Grace be with you, mercy and peace, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. John specifically identifies Jesus in a very specific term. He says, the Son of the Father. By the way, 
That's the uh, name of the person who replaced Jesus, Barabbas, the son of the father. And by the way, calling Jesus the son of the father flies right in the face of the claims of the false teachers of John's day, too. You and I may not be aware of it because we're not so culturally akin to first century church, but these false teachers of John's day were saying that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He really wasn't the son. He was spiritual God. Because that, was, uh, that wasn't a far thing for them to believe. Remember, this is Roman world. We even saw an example when we went through the book of Acts where, uh, I can't remember what town it was, brother, uh, when Paul and Silas showed up and they thought they were gods. That was a derby. I think that was a derby. They thought Paul and Silas were gods. There were all kinds of mythology about the gods coming to earth. That wasn't uncommon. So to believe that Jesus was God come to earth, that was easy. To believe that Jesus was human flesh encasing God, that was hard for them to swallow. So they were teaching that Jesus didn't truly come in the flesh. Nowadays, we've got the exact opposite. The world will believe, oh, Jesus was a good man, but he wasn't God. See, we've got the exact opposite teaching going on today. We'll address that more when we get to verse 7. I don't really want to get any deeper into it here. I'll, I'll develop that more when we get to verse 7. But John also introduces here the concepts of truth and love, which are going to be very important themes for the rest of this book. Truth and love are intimately connected. You cannot separate them. John doesn't see any way to separate these concepts. Truth is the only path to love. Love can only exist through truth. Love can't exist with deception. Love can only exist with truth. Those themes are going to be very prominent in the lives of each and every believer. If we're genuinely walking in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we will have a genuine love as well. You can't have it one without the other. So then, backing up a little bit here, John's wrapping up his introduction by calling for grace, mercy, and peace in the lives of these believers. Grace, mercy, and peace in the lives of these believers. And that's pretty consistent. We see that sort of theme in a lot of New Testament letters. We see it in Paul's writings. We see it in all kinds of things. They almost all call for grace and peace from God to their readers. And so we read it, and it's kind of humdrum, you know, grace, mercy, peace. Second John is a little bit different in that, although when we read the text here, it says, grace, grace be with you, mercy and peace. It seems, and that's how Paul typically wrote, that it seems like he's desiring it. I, I want grace, mercy, and peace to be with you. That's actually, when you look at the Greek, it's not what he's saying. He is affirming that it already exists in their lives. In the Greek, you can see that John actually says that these things are, are present. You don't, again, you don't see it in the King James, but it's there nonetheless. The Greek phrase is este methemon, which literally means will be with you. Este will be with methemon, us. So, 
although the King James kind of translates it, be with you, as if it's like a prayer, may grace, mercy, and peace be with you, uh, it's will be with us is assuring, isn't it? It will, they all three will be with us. We all, uh, it also, in addition to being an assurance, it again speaks of us being a family. It's with, not with you, it's with us. You and me together. You and me together. We all have grace, mercy, peace. It gives us that connotation of a family again, doesn't it? That's the main theme of the book of 2 John. We are a family. Let's work together. That's the overarching theme. We all share in this blessing of grace, mercy, and truth. You and I share with John and with his readers in the first century in the blessings of being followers of the truth of Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? The same grace, mercy, and truth, that, or grace, mercy, and peace that John was talking about, you and I share in today because we're in the truth in Christ himself. With the truth comes grace, mercy, and peace. It was true then, and it's true today. With that for an introduction, you mind if I thank God for that blessing today? Lord, I do thank you for your grace. 